Good morning. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Um, Conflict, especially among Christians, can be make you very angry. It seems, particularly when we're dealing with amongst Christians, that when we have conflict, it makes us even more angry. I remember when we were in seminary. uh, my wife and I were taken advantage of by some other Christians. And I have never seen my wife so furious in her life. I mean, tears of rage and anger coming down her eyes. And uh, I mean, she also had an excuse because she had uh, raging pregnancy hormones. And, but but we, we know that when, when we have conflict and other Christians hurt us, uh, it makes us particularly angry. And so we're going to be looking at peacemaking, particularly looking at the foundation of how do we make peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay? So read with me uh, from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. It's on page 5 of your bulletin as well. Matthew 5, 9, and Ephesians 2. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Therefore, Ephesians 2, 11 and 22, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and that He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and He preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer aliens and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, And you are members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is God's Word. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, You are the foundation, You are our cornerstone. And so, Lord, by Your Spirit, we pray that You would speak to us, speak to our minds, and speak to our hearts, and speak to our wills, that we might make peace as You have made peace with us. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. J.I. Packer, well-known theologian, said you can summarize the Gospel in three words. That You can summarize it in these three words. It is adoption through propitiation. 
The gospel is that we have been adopted through propitiation. That we become sons and daughters of God through the propitiatory work of Christ, through the cleansing work of Christ, His death on the cross for our sins, covering them. This is the gospel, that we are adopted through the propitiation of Christ's death on the cross. This is where peacemaking flows out of this, this new reality of who we are, that we are adopted children of God in a right relationship with Him. Now, for some people, this question may come up that the question is, well, why do I need to be adopted as a child of God? Aren't we all born God's children? C.S. Lewis puts it really well in, in this question. He says this, Now, the point in Christianity which gives us the greatest shock is the statement that by attaching ourselves to Christ, we can become sons of God. One asks, Aren't we sons of God already? Surely the fatherhood of God is one of the main Christian ideas. Well, in a certain sense, no doubt we are sons of, and daughters of God already. I mean, God has brought us into existence and He looks after us and in that way He is like a father. But you see, when the Bible talks of our becoming sons of God, obviously it means something very different. This is what C.S. Lewis says in and the truth is, yes, we could say in on one sense, God is our creator of all people. But that's very different than to say that He is your personal, intimate Father with whom you have a relationship of peace with. In fact, the way the Bible describes, describes all people, the way we are, are born, is not that we are children of God, rather that we are in fact God's enemies. This is the sobering description of the Scriptures. If you look at with me at Ephesians 2, right before this passage in verses 1 through 4, this is how we are described in our natural condition. It says, you were dead, in verse 1 of chapter 2, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that has now at work in the sons of disobedience among you, all once walked, and you were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is the, the sobering description of, of people, of us before Christ, is that we are born spiritually dead. We are called children of disobedience and wrath. That this is something that, that describes us by our nature, by who we are, that we are born not wanting God. We are born spiritually dead. We, we have desires that are contrary to His character, contrary to His will, which is described in the Ten Commandments. And the first one being, you shall have no other gods before me. And we're born saying, in a way, I would like to make myself God. It's a problem from our birth, from conception that we are born spiritually dead, children of disobedience, not following him. And it is in our, uh, we are nurtured as well in it. You see, it says that we, we follow the world, we follow our sinful flesh, and we follow the evil one. We're both born into this and we are nurtured in, in the world this way. It's the way we follow. To misquote a very infamous singer that I've heard before, says this Oh, there ain't no other way 
baby, I was born this way. This is the description of us, that we are, in fact, born enemies of God. Now, when we hear that, and people who hear this, we say, how can that be? That does not seem fair. That definitely does not describe my children. That doesn't, didn't describe me. I mean, I think maybe except for when my, my child gets up in the night and doesn't sleep when I tell her to, and she says, no, I'm going to be awake now. Then I say, you are a child of disobedience. But, but we, we, we kind of cringe at this. Like, this doesn't seem like a right description of us. But, but the thing is, the way the Bible describes us is that it is, in fact, totally fair and totally accurate. And it is fair because this is universally descriptive of all people. It is that we all walked in this way. We were all born this way. It is a universally inherited trait from our parents, from our parents, their parents, their parents, their parents, their parents, all the way back to our first parents, Adam and Eve. But also, and so in that way, we also see that, that, that we have this, this corruption in our hearts. But also it's fair because we have this man, Adam and Eve, our first parents who is described here being our representatives. That, you know, we, we elect representatives and they often, sometimes they don't, they don't um, represent us perfectly, very well. But Adam, he represented us completely perfectly as we would be represented. And so he sinned and in him we all are found sinful, that we have guilt, that he represented us perfectly. And this is the bad news describing us, that we are in fact born enemies of God. But in some way, there's actually there's a little bit of, a, of something good about knowing that this is the human state in which we are born. There's nothing, I mean, there's nothing inherently good about knowing, about, about being an enemy of God, but there's something good about knowing it. And this is this. Look, imagine you're five foot six, grown, fully grown adult male, 130 pounds, and I tell you, you know what? You can go and try out for the NFL. You go and try out. If you try really, really hard, you try to change your behavior, you, you think positively about it, you work really hard, you, where is that going to lead you? It's going to lead you nowhere. It's going to lead you to despair. It's going to lead you to anger. It's going to lead you to frustration. And this is the way it describes us spiritually, is that there is nothing that we could do. It is in who we are. There's nothing that we can do to be acceptable to God. And so there is something good here in saying that you can give up trying to find peace with God by your own efforts or by thinking positively about yourself. See, a religion of moral improvement or a spirituality of positivity will only get you frustrated and leave you in denial or defeated. And so what we see here is that it's important for people, to rec- even we who are now Christians, to recognize what our situation was. That we are to recognize this reality. Look at verse 11 and 12. He says this, remember, verse 12, remember that you were at that time, you were at one time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. This means, look, 
you were separated from Christ who is your closest brother and best friend that you could have in, in faith. You are separated from the family of God. You were at one point, the promises, all the promises of God were not at one point for you. And to summarize what he says, he's saying this is what it all means. In verse 12, that you had no hope and were without God in the world. This is at the core of the matter, is that we had no hope. We were without God, and there are people that we know. That is the situation. I have no hope and are without God in the world. And this is, in a way, this is called, this is, to understand this, this is the beginning of repentance, and this is part of faith. To understand that you can't do it, that you have no hope in yourself. And so this is the thing to do is to recognize if this is your situation, to recognize it. And for us who are Christians is to remember that that was who we were. But now we recognize that we are not that way because we are in Christ. And I have found it to be very sad when I find people who are looking for hope, to find hope in God, but they don't know where the foundation is. I moved into my neighborhood two years ago, and uh, before we moved in, the landlord told everybody on the street that I was a pastor. And uh, all of our neighbors are, old, are relatively older people, and uh, one of our neighbors was, is known to be a very religious lady. And because I'm a pastor, she was open to talking to me about, about spiritual things, and she was telling me struggling about how she's struggling with deep loneliness after her husband passed away. Deep, deep loneliness. And I was encouraging, I was trying to say, look, I know that there's nothing that can, can take the place of your husband, but the good news is that in Jesus, he is your brother, he is with you if you have faith in him, and God is your personal father. And she looked back at me and she said, I just hope that I have been good. See, this is a place where you, it's just a, a hope, a general hope that you've been good is not going to be the right foundation. Because the way the Scripture describes us, if we hope we've been good, is in fact that we are still His enemies. And so we must understand that this was our, our case. And this brings us to how we have peace with God Himself in this passage. It goes back to what I had said. It is this, the peace with God comes in being adopted into God's family through the work and the person of Jesus Himself. This is how we have peace with God, that we become God's children, that we attach ourselves to Christ. We become united to Him by faith and so we no longer have guilt. He represents us now. He is the one who covers us. He takes away our sin. And He gives you His honor. He declares His glory over you. You are declared not an enemy. As we sang this morning from Rock of Ages, is cleanse me from sin's guilt and its power. Guilt is that you have no sin 
in God's sight because of Christ. This is what He does. And He takes away its power by uniting us to Him and giving us new desires. Desires of that of a child for His Father. That we have those same desires. And here's a strong foundation. That if you are hidden in Christ, does God the Father love Jesus, the Son, right now who is ascended and sitting at the right hand of, of God? Does He love Him? Yes. Exceedingly so. And if you are united to Him, He looks at you and He says, you are My beloved child and I am pleased with you. See, that is the Gospel. And that is peace with God. To know that He is your Father and that He is not your judge. And this comes through Christ. And you see this in, in this passage it, Uh, verses 13, 14, 16, and 18 in a way describe this peace that we have with God. This passage talks about peace with God, but it also describes our peace with each other. And and looking at our peace with God in, in verse 13 and 14, it talks about we were far off, that is, we were enemies, but He has made peace by bringing us near. Verse 15 describes that He has made us one new humanity. He's given us a new nature. Verse 16 talks about us being reconciled. That we're no longer enemies. That the cross is where in Christ all of our sin has been punished. And all of our hostility was dealt with. And then if you look at verse 18, it says this. 18 says, Through Christ, for through Jesus, we both, we, Jew and Gentile together, we have access in one Spirit to the Father. For through Christ, verse 18, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. You see, this is peace with Christ, peace with God. To be able to have access to God as our Father. This is the high point of peace with God. And this is, in, in many ways, this is the high point of the Gospel. It's to have access to God our, our Father personally. That's peace. Calvin explained it this way. He said, look, because we are united to Christ, we enjoy the same privileges, we enjoy the same favor, and we enjoy the same access to the Father as Christ does Himself. That you personally have access to the Father. I remember that uh, when I was a friend, when I was, a, when I was growing up, uh, I would go to a friend's house. And this particular friend uh, taught me about Pop-Tarts. I had never had Pop-Tarts before, but that is how he had all the Pop-Tarts. Blueberry, strawberry, cinnamon, all these fantastic Pop-Tarts. And every time I went to my friend's house, I just wanted to have Pop-Tarts. But the problem was it was my friend's house, so I couldn't just waltz into his cabinet and say, I'm going to have some Pop-Tarts. And they were up on the top shelf, which meant that I definitely couldn't get them, and he couldn't get them either. And so you know what I would do? I'd tell my friend, look, ask your mom or ask your dad if we can have a Pop-Tart snack. So they'd ask their friend, they'd ask, I mean, my friend would ask their parents, and guess what? We could have a Pop-Tart. You see, access... 
is a privilege that you have as a child. Access is a privilege that this friend of mine had to the Pop-Tarts because he was a child. See, I did not have access to my friend's family's Pop-Tarts. I had to go through my friend to get them. And here's the thing, that in Christ we have direct access to talk to the Father and to ask Him for things needful that we need and to have a perfect, an intimate relationship with Him. You see, access is a privilege that we have when we are sons and daughters. This is the crown jewel of the Gospel and of peace with God. We have access to the Father. Do you know that in Jesus you have direct access to Him? Sometimes theological traditions can hide this precious jewel, can bury it, and it doesn't seem so clear to us. You see, if you grew up in a tradition where you thought that it was because of the pastor or because of the priest that gives you access, you're forgetting that it's only through Christ that we have access to the Father. And I'm not saying pastors are not important. I think that pastors are important. But if you think that you need a priest or you think that you need a pastor to have access, you're forgetting that it is Christ alone who gives us the Son who gives us access to the Father. Or if we think that we need saints or Mary or any other possible friend to give us access, then we're just acting like I was when I went to my friend's house. I had, it's asking them to ask somebody else. And you see, if you think access comes through somebody else besides Christ, then you are not acting like a son or a daughter. Because for us, access comes through Christ. And access, it is a privilege of being a child of God. And so we have peace with Him, with God. And this access, this peace, this is a powerful, this is a powerful engine for us, for our prayer life. In the book, A Praying Life, there's a situation described of if you're struggling with prayer and, and um, the, the writer says, you visit a prayer therapist, which you could call a prayerapist, or just a pastor, because that's what we're for as well. And it says this, the pastor asked this, what does it mean that you are a son or a daughter of God? And you reply this, that it, is, it means you have complete access to your heavenly Father through Jesus. That you have true intimacy based not on how good you are, but on the very goodness of Jesus. Not only that, Jesus is your brother and you are a fellow heir with Him. This is for us the foundation, it is a, a powerful foundation for our prayer life with God that we have direct access and intimacy with God the Father through Jesus. This we should always remember when we seek our prayer time. But this also, this peace that we have, this access that we have together with to the Father, this peace, is a foundation for our making peace with each other. There's a uh, movie from the 1990s called Good Burger, if you saw it. 
And in this movie, there's a guy named Kel, and he sings this song regularly. He says, uh, I'm a dude, you're a dude, he's a dude, she's a dude, so we're all dudes. What, what does that mean? What am, what am I saying? Theologically, here, here's what we're saying right here. I am a son of God. You are a son of God. You are a, a daughter of God. We are children of God. What does that make us? It makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the fact that we have peace with God and we are united to Christ means that we who each have peace with Him and are united to Him, we are family. We are brothers and sisters. You see, this is why we pursue peace with each other. Because this is our reality, is that we are family. We are brothers and sisters. Verse 14 talks about us being one people. Verse 15 talks about this one new humanity. From all backgrounds, from Jew and Gentile, from enemies, all of us, we are now one in Christ. We both have one access. Verse 19, the implication is this, spelled out that we are a family. Verse 19, So then, here's the implication, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are a family. If Christ is my brother and Christ is your brother, then we are brothers and sisters. And so we ought to pursue peace with one another. See, for Jesus... Our brotherhood, that we are brothers and sisters, this is a, a basis for our pursuing peace and making peace. In Matthew 5, he says this, So if you are offering a gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, go to your brother. Go to your brother. And then, first be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. Matthew 7, he says it again like this. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Matthew 18, he says this. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your Brother. So when Jesus is talking about making peace, he's particularly talking about that we are brothers and sisters. That we ought to be concerned to do this with each other, even when we become so angry at the point of tears. Because we are brothers and sisters. And we can't escape each other in that way. Here's the, here's the point. The family bond that we have, have compels us to actively make peace, especially with Christians, because we are of one family. Paul, even, in all the letters that he writes, but think about Corinthians, which was written to a church that was completely divided. It was being torn apart because of division, because of people asserting themselves over one another and various things. He says 38 times in 1 Corinthians, my brothers, my sisters. He says, I appeal to you brothers to agree. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, but I, brothers, could not 
address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, because there is jealousy and strife and you're living in the flesh. I remember when I was a, a child, my, my little sister used to beat me up a little bit. Um, she was tough. She would actually, so she would beat me up, and I remember I would run to my mom and dad, and I'd say, Mom, Dad, Lindsay's beating me up. And i said, do something about it. And my parents would say, well, she's your sister. You can grow up, and you go deal with it. And this is what we say. Parents say this to their kids all the time. When you look, you are brothers and sisters. You can grow up and work it out. And this is what Paul is saying, and this is the truth for us, is that as we grow in spiritual maturity, we must remember, you are brothers and sisters, that we need to work out our conflict and to deal with it. Now we know that this is much easier said than it is done. Because if you think about it, this passage is talking about people who are very different being made a family. The brothers and sisters that you have in Christ are very different. And some of you are very difficult. Not me, but some of you are very difficult. And yet we are a family. And this is what makes it difficult, is that we are very different, and some are difficult. Think about the fact that 12 of Jesus' disciples, one was Matthew the tax collector, and another was Simon the zealot. The tax collector Matthew, he was... He worked for an, a, a secular Roman government doing a job that was taking from his own people. And Simon the Zealot was, a, was basically um, a right-wing, almost religious fanatic bent on destroying that government. And so you have these two who are brought together and, and as they come to Christ, yes, they come to Him, but, but still they bring in these, these backgrounds and this is the case for us. And this was what makes it, it difficult at times. We are brothers and sisters with different backgrounds, politically, ethnically, culturally, socially, with different views on church, on ministry, how hot or cold the, the church building is going to be. All of these things. It's difficult. It's easier to, as Ken Sandy says, to fake peace or to break peace. See, we can be peace fakers and, or we can be peace breakers. And both of these can sound spiritual in different ways. Think about peace breaking. When we break peace with each other, John Newton said this, that there is a principle of self-centeredness which disposes us to despise those who are different from us. And, wh- and, and, why are, and we are under its influence most when we think we are only showing a becoming zeal in the cause of God. What he's saying here is, look, sometimes we can be selfish and we can be self-serving, but think we're just doing our Christian duty in serving God. This is what Diotrephes in 3 John did. It says that he put himself first, but he, he thought that he was trying to uh, protect the purity of the church, but all he was doing is he put himself first And what he did is he refused to welcome the brothers and sisters and even put some out who were still brothers and sisters. He was thinking he was being zealous for God, but he was just putting himself first. Breaking. 
peace with the brothers and sisters. And this is something we ought to be careful for. Rather, if anyone is caught in transgression, Paul says, you who are spiritual, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness. And our approaching conflict with people and our peacemaking in conflict. Or as Ken Sandy says, there's peace faking, which is that of running away from conflict or even denying that there is any conflict. Ken Sandy, who's an elder in the PCA, he says this, that this is especially common in churches because we may oftentimes be concerned with the appearance of peace rather than pursuing the reality of it. And this is so hard, but the, the simple fact is, look, if you have more than one child, you know that siblings fight. You know that there is conflict amongst brothers and sisters. And this is true because we know that we are still sinners. We still struggle against the flesh every day. We still struggle with selfishness, with pride, with all of these things. And we recognize it. So how do we make peace when you realize that part of the conflict points right back at you? When you and I are part of the reason that there's conflict, will you run? Faking peace or avoiding peacemaking? Will you stay and fight and get angry and, and hate? Will you, will you fight? I remember when I was growing up in Guatemala, uh, I went to a kid's a friend's birthday party, and none of the parents were around, and uh, so they decided that was a perfect time to do the piñata. And so they decided, me being the, the huero, the white guy, they were going to do me, have me do the, the, hit the piñata first. So they put, wrapped the, uh, the scarf around my face, they spun me around and said, go on, Wedo, come on, Wedo, you can do it, you can do it. And so I've got the, the stick in my hand, and I'm going to go up to the piñata. And I don't see what's going on, so I, I'm going up to the piñata, and I'm going to hit it really, really hard. And I wind up, and I hit. And as I hit, I thought I was, what I thought was hitting the piñata, I ended up actually hitting the birthday boy, and I whacked it again. And I pull off the scarf and I see the birthday boys there on a puddle on the ground crying. Some of the other kids are like aghast at me. How could you do that to the birthday boy? Other kids are laughing at me. And I see in my hand that I had the stick. I was the one who had hit him. And what do you do in those situations when you see that you are the one who is holding the stick? That you are the one that has hurt other people? Do you run away and cry to your mom like I did? Do you put your hand harder on the stick and beat the kids for laughing at you? Or do you deal with it? What do you do when you realize you are the one that has broken the peace? You are thinking of yourself, insisting on your own way. This is it. It is to remember who you are in Christ Jesus. That you are one for who Christ died. That your identity is that you are a son and a daughter of God. And He is pleased with you. And so you can deal with the conflict. 
You can deal with when it points back at you because though it may get very personal, your sin does not define you. The bat in your hand does not define you. So you can admit it, you can repent, and you can, knowing that you are accepted, a child of God, you can go and make peace with your brother or sister. So let us pray. Lord God, our hearts are oftentimes so full of turmoil, particularly at our brothers and sisters when they have hurt us or taken advantage of us. I pray for this, your church, Lord, that you would strengthen them with the knowledge that you are pleased with them as children. And that is who they are. It is who we are. And so, with that knowledge that we are your children, Lord God, and we go and make peace with our brothers and sisters as different as we may be because we are united to you, Lord Jesus. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.